There are a lot of things in our life that vie for our attention. And oftentimes we want recognition, we want praise, we want people to notice us. But as Christians, fundamentally, with our entire being, we are called to honor and glorify God in everything we do. That's exactly what we're gonna be talking about in today's podcast. So turn to First Corinthians chapter 10 and let's get into it. friends, welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you as always, blessed as we continue to study the passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where we have been exploring verse by verse through the text of 1 Corinthians, understanding a lot of the challenges and a lot of the mixed reviews and conflicts and discord and stumbling blocks and weaker consciousness and people that are in sexual sin and how to respond and how to deal with it. This truly is a very sensitive letter. I mean, all of you know Paul's letters were sensitive, but this one deals with a lot of major conflict about carnal Christianity that we explored and looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, three, but before that, you know, that God uses the foolish things in the world in first Corinthians chapter one. And we see in five in chapter five about this sexual sin that a man is committing with more than likely as we, we, we talked about in, in several episodes ago uh, with his stepmom and just the carnality that's there. First Corinthians six, the famous passage about homosexuality and those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Chapter seven, we talked about single life and married life and what was Paul talking about when, when, you know, was he speaking directly of himself and separate from the Holy Spirit? So we dealt with that. Chapter eight is doc, talking about people, again, with weaker conscience about food that was offered to idols and what that looks like and the mess of all that and how we are to become all things to all people in chapter nine. And then chapter 10, we are dealing with restraint, how we, as someone who is to be a witness of Christ, how we are to conduct ourselves, how we're not to transgress into sin. And so as we explored what that looked like, we then ended in chapter 10 here in verses 14 through 22 in the previous podcast. This is now podcast 245, where we were looking at spiritual adultery and how we are to devote our lives to him and how Paul uses the participation at the Lord's table. So we're talking about true worship of Christ in the table of demons. And again, how we are not to participate. And again, this is what carnal Christians would do. They would compromise. They're not just naive, but they're still dominated by a form of sin or sins. And in verse 22, when Paul poses these two primary questions shall we provoke the lord to jealousy are we stronger than he that's now where we dive into chapter 10 beginning in verse 23 and we're going to end into chapter 11 verse 1 and then you want to talk about another controversial passage and topic we're going to be looking at this whole head covering and that the woman is the is not the head of man, but man is the head of the woman. Like all of these issues that come out of that particular chapter. Not, to, I mean, again, we just were covering throughout this study so many controversial topics. 
And it's like one after the other after the other. And I'm going to just say this before, before I go any further into our present context in 1 Corinthians 10, I have been studying now 1 Corinthians 11 for almost a month. Now, a lot of what I've read and prayed through, I, I don't, I won't reveal on the podcast, but more than likely we may have to break that up. I'm just saying, giving you guys a heads up into maybe three parts, maybe that. Uh, we're actually going to be even diving into that topic and challenging conversations. My other podcast, I'd encourage you guys to listen to as well. So let's dive in and let's, let's understand this particular passage about do everything to the glory of God. And this is powerful because the way that Paul ends the whole thing is saying, listen, we have different backgrounds and some things may be a temptation to one person and may not be a temptation to another. You may not struggle drinking. And so having a beer or whatever, no big deal. Whereas if you did in front of somebody who does struggle or somebody who really vehemently believes that no Christian should drink to avoid not just controversy, but to cause that brother or sister to sin, you know, you want to say not worth it. It's not worth it. I may disagree with them, but I don't want to cause somebody to stumble. I want to be above reproach. I want to be a good example. And then I'll just do that in the confines of my own home or with people who would not cause them to stumble. So when you add all those things up that we've talked about, whether you're married or you're not married or you are in a relationship and you're burning with passion, you want to honor the Lord with your bodies. This is something that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I might refer to it. But let's read this passage as we close out this particular part and see what Paul has to say to really tie this all together. So no matter what you right now, my friend, are dealing with, how are you glorifying God? That's the key. How are you glorifying God? You, 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 we can argue that we have these rights, that it's not an issue, but how do we go about conveying that to other people as we seek to glorify God instead of just being right? So notice he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then, you, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And then I do want to introduce chapter 11, verse 1, because it is actually part of what the momentum that Paul has here in his, in his grand scheme of things, right? Making his case. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 
So let's do this as we always do here on the podcast. Let's break these things up into their appropriate sections so that we can better understand exegetically what Paul is laying out here. Now notice what he does on the heels of what I just had said before in verse 22, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We know the, 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 the Ten Commandments and we know that you shall have no other gods before uh, God. And we're not to make carved images. We're not to make anything in, in, in our likeness or any other likeness. We're not to bow. We're not to serve them. And God will judge the, the, the fathers on their children, we're told, in other generations when you have idols. So let me just say this, by the way, that is generational sins. That is demonic. If you right now are listening and you come from a background where maybe one of your ancestors, parents, grandparents, even an uncle, an aunt that had influence in your family that maybe you were exposed to, had a relationship with, and I'm not saying you believe what they believe, perhaps maybe you did and you've come to Christ since. We have to be sensitive when there's been idol worship. And the, and the deeper that it goes, the darker that it is. So I have counseled in our ministry through the years, people who have come out of cults, who've come out of world religions, who have believed a lie from the doctrine of demons, who've been deceived. I've talked to people who've come out of cultic backgrounds where they were sexually abused, where they were given over to various people within the movement. And the demons will, will, will dominate. And if there was sacrifices of animals, or like I said, in relationships where married couples would have to give up their spouse, particularly the women, obviously with the, with a cult leader where they were be able to share when you have even human sacrifices in different cultic movements, that's demonic and it will affect us. And so we have to pray out that type of demonization, that type of control that is plaguing families when you are trying to substitute God for something else. We are not to provoke the Lord to jealousy. We are not stronger than him. And that's what Paul's getting at. So when it says all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful, and, and, but, but not all things build up. I like what the application commentary says about this. It says that most of the principles, because here Paul opens up this last section before we get into chapter 11, verse two, he, he's using a quote that was common among the Greeks. And this is something that Paul often did as an apologist, that he would look at certain objections or certain lifestyle principles, and he would obviously object. He would oppose them, and he would do it in such a way that was very winsome and filled with the Holy Spirit. And there are valuable lessons we can learn from someone like Paul and how we are to defend the faith. And so what he's doing is he's presenting certain terminology, uh, a phrase, a motto, a philosophy that Corinthians lived upon. And so the application commentary says most of the principles behind this section that we're reading, 23 to chapter 11, verse 1, actually they, the commentary says been discussed in chapter 8. So this is important. See, this is why we do verse-by-verse -verse teaching because there's correlation. So even though we moved on into two other, you know, two chapters removed from chapter eight, again, this is one big letter. 
Paul is still building off of what he laid out in chapter 8. And then the commentary says, clearly the two fundamental principles remain unaltered. Christians have essential freedom in morally neutral matters. But their behavior must be tempered with concern for others. The twin emphasis of the summary paragraph call to mind Jesus's twofold summary of the law. And we know what they are. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, we are to love God with all our heart and we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And only here Paul phrases it in terms of giving God the glory and trying to please fellow human beings, end quote. So that is a, a great understanding. And this is what's so significant because he actually pulls in the commandments, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? And then he weaves together to refute all things are lawful. Now, I'm not saying he entirely disagrees with it, but on the hills of the Ten Commandments, primarily the first two, what does he also then encapsulate here is the teaching of Jesus and the two greatest commandments that summarizes the scriptures right here, loving God and loving others. And part of loving others and how we glorify God is that we do temper our behavior, though we may disagree with somebody about a particular freedom that we have in a neutral matter, we are to ensure that we are being respectful. So again, all things are lawful. I have these rights, but that's not necessarily helpful to use certain rights when I can jeopardize my relationship or I should be more humble. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So not everything that we defend, that we have a right to defend, we have to make sure, because again, love is the ultimate arbiter in the Christian life, not our knowledge and not our liberty. And oftentimes what people do is they boast about what they know to refute somebody. And by proving them wrong, we get even more prideful and we expect an apology. And we kind of do it in their face while all the while we just burned not only a relationship, but we can scar uh, our witness. And of course, you got a lot of the debates about freedom to do certain things and we're not to abuse that. So Paul presents this, again, the share slogan and, and he was refuting it because here's the thing. Yes, Christians, and this is something we have to reflect on right now in our lives, no matter what your background is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your freedom, my freedom is limited. What does that mean? Well, it's limited. This is important, my friends. It's limited on account of how we act and how our actions are, again, not just our decision-making, but how we live life, how that affects people around us. We have to be sensitive. So part of glorifying God is, Lord, I pray that I am very in tune with the Holy Spirit. I'm very sensitive to how... I act around people. Now, this argument of Paul can be traced back again to chapter eight, verse nine, where he says, but beware, but beware, he says, least somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. So notice, we have to pay attention, least what we are free to do can actually cause someone to stumble. Now remember the word stumbling block is to put a barrier in front of them. Now the key principle 
is that we need to exercise our freedoms in a way that builds up people in the body of Christ rather than tear them down. You know, this reminds me that when you have certain conflict and you're not the primary reason for it, and yet the other person who, again, people like John Townsend and Henry Cloud were referred to as a manipulator, a controlling manipulative person, a button pusher, they more the reason why they're button pushers more often than not, and this is kind of their in their DNA, they do not see that they're the problem. You're the problem. And they force you to make things right. They know there's there's issues, but the reason there's issues is because of them, but they're actually thinking the issue is because of you. That's not building up the body of Christ. That's actually tearing it down. You're being a bad witness. Because you're not admitting any fault in anything. Or again, people can make blanket statements. And I've had many people, even close in my life, well, they'll make blanket statements. They'll, 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 they'll make generalizations. And then when you lay out the facts, right, they don't even hear it. They don't want to hear it. And so that right there is a bad witness. Okay? And so Paul is demonstrating this because there are major issues in relationships that are going on in the way that people are conducting themselves. It reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19. He says, have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. I love that because Instead of saying, well, I have a right to do this. Who are you to say I don't? You say, you know what? Yes, living in Christ, I do have this right. And you have a problem with it and I, and I disagree with it. But you know what? I'm called, as Paul says here, that it's not about defending myself. That's what he just says in 2 Corinthians 12, 19. We're not, I'm not defending myself, but in the sight of God, I'm speaking of Christ to build you up. Warren Wearsby, the great commentary and preacher, said the strong Christian is not, not only has knowledge, but he also has experience. He can look back and see how the Lord has dealt with him through the years. He knows that he has freedom, but he also knows that freedom involves responsibility. In other words, it is a mark of maturity when we balance our freedom with responsibility. Otherwise, it ceases to be freedom and becomes anarchy and lawlessness, end quote. Great quote. So as we grow, my friends, in grace, as we grow in our freedom, again, that does not mean that, and this is, I was just doing a study, some investigative work on false teachers. And just their reasoning about how like one in particular, one preacher in particular was defending why they go to do, they not only attend after parties with P Diddy, formerly known as Puff Daddy for older listeners on this podcast. Uh, but I'm like the, the fact that you're defending yourself to be at these parties where again, there's orgies, there's drunkenness, all kinds of stuff. You should not be in attendance. So just because you say, oh, I've been a Christian for 30 years, I've grown in my freedom where that, that is, I'm above that. It's no big deal. No, that's not the case at all. Sorry. Okay. A mark of maturity, as Warren Wiersbe says, is when we balance our freedom with responsibility. Otherwise, 
that ceases to be freedom and becomes anarchy and lawlessness. So that's why in verse 24 now he says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So in actual fact, rather than build this entire case in your freedom and why you have a right to do what you have to do, the Bible says to seek not your own good. Because here's the thing. What good does it actually bring in the end? That you're right, you blow your witness because you caused someone to stumble and that was not being good for your neighbor. That was not building them up. Each Christian, we have a responsibility and I want you to consider that right now in your life. What responsibility has God given you? Could be in a marriage, could be with your kids, your family, how many, I have four children. So my responsibility is to seek their good, not myself. And it starts with, my relationship with God to be a servant, uh, Galatians 1.10, that I'm not to please man, but to please God. As I think of the first two commandments and the two greatest commandments that, sum, that, that, that summarize the totality of scripture, loving God and loving others. So my, my responsibility as I do that is when I'm walking in freedom, I'm, I'm, rem, I'm reminded that, again, going back to 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1, in Galatians 6, verse 2, the good of others. And notice what we're doing here, my friends, is we're doing a verse-by-verse -verse teaching. We hopefully are emboldening you guys, encouraging you guys to know Scripture, to memorize Scripture, so that when you're acting, when you're living out life, when you find yourself not just in temptation or there's discord or there's a confrontation or you're lonely or you're hurting or you're doubting, you quote the Word of God. You know what the Word of God says. So when I say, no, no, Hold back, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24, let no one seek his own good. I need to seek the good of my neighbor. I need to do the good of others. Galatians 6, 2, I need to carry their burden. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, I'm not to be selfish in my ambition. I'm not to be conceited, but rather in humility, I need to notice, count others more significant than yourself. I need, I need to consider the interest. So you can take 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24, and Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. And notice what 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says here. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And what does that look like? Well, Galatians 6, 2 says, I need to carry the burdens of others. 1 Corinthians 8, 1, I need to do the, 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 the good of others. Because I just said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 19, what Paul says is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding I do this for the upbuilding of others. Christians are not to selfishly think of themselves, but but that they can care for the needs of others. We we understand people that are in our life that are very selfish and what that actually does to us and how that offends us and hurts us. And at the end of the day, nobody wants to be around that. I was just even talking to my kids recently about a very, very, and I had a little encountership with this young person but she's just very disrespectful to her parents and she's rude. She's just rude. And nobody, nobody wants to be around her. That's not entirely the fault of the child, by the way. But I digress. This is not a parenting podcast. This is, this is a verse-by-verse -verse teaching that we need to focus in on. But that is a prime example, though, I think, when it does come to parenting. That a parent is not to seek their own good. They think they're seeking the good of the child, but they're spoiling the child by not disciplining them. And the sad reality is over time, the damage that that is creating in a child, and oftentimes a child clearly knows it. And so they become even ruder 
if you will, because they don't want to be hurt. And they lash out. And that's very unfortunate. And we say, oh yeah, you know, those children. Well, guess what? Sadly, if we don't mature in our freedom in Christ, we as adults can be even worse. I mean, it's one thing when you say, well, okay, she's 12. But what do you say when a guy's 45? So notice here in verse 25 now where he says, eat whatever sold in the meat market without raising any questions. All right, so now, so notice he's going full circle back to what we did talk about with the meat that's offered uh, to idols and then meat that's sold in the marketplace. Because in verse 26, he says, for the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. So Paul is speaking in a restricted sense. This is so important for us to understand. This is in a restricted sense. So it's limited in the scope of how he is applying it. Not in variation, but in the context of one's freedom. Because you can say, well, isn't he contradicting himself? If you know that it's sold in the marketplace and you're assuming that it's to idols and then he's saying, still eat it, don't ask any questions. What? All right, let's break it down. For one, there's no need for a Christian buying meat in the market to ask if the meat came from a pagan temple. Why? Because if it's sold in the marketplace, all religious significance has been lost. That's why. Okay? That's why. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 8 verse 10, Paul explicitly forbids eating meat sacrificed to idols at the temple. But he allows it to be eaten without knowing it came from the temple as a guest. Because it has no significance to you. You're not wrapped up into that. You're, you're not somehow, and this, is, and this is important because I've talked to a lot of Christians who, who go in panic mode and they, 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 they assume um, they didn't directly give their heart to something, to worship something, whatever. And because they were around it, they, they almost have the, the heebie-jeebies, right? As, as the Grinch would say. And I was like, calm down. It's not gonna affect you, okay? And that's what Paul's saying here. So if you, again, let's, let's even take a step back even before that in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, when he says, all things are lawful for me. Notice that that's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 10, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So here's the, the last point here. And this is, this is a clear statement of, of if you take what Paul's been saying from 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 10, and 1 Corinthians here, chapter 10, verse 25 and 26. Whatever God forbids is not lawful or allowed. Whatever God forbids is not lawful or allowed. We're not to make excuse for it. What Paul is referring to are implicit issues or judgment calls, not explicit. So what is the, the implicit issue here? That Christians need to wisely make choices that aligns best with God's truth. So you're not going and participating at a pagan feast thinking, nah, no big deal. No, don't do that. We just saw, you know, a minute ago when I was referring to in the last podcast, podcast 244, that you're not to be eating at the table of demons in the, in the table of the Lord. That's not what you're doing when you're at a guest house who's feeding you meat. They got in the marketplace. You're not a pagan worshiper. You worship Jesus Christ who is mightier and more powerful. Don't worry about it. This is not an explicit issue. And if you ate the meat and then later realized that the person got it from a friend and got it from the temple, that somehow you have a demon inside of you now. That's not the case. 
The earth is the Lord's. This is a reference that Paul pulls from Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Isn't that beautiful? So the rule point here, okay, the main thing that we have to take away is that everything belongs to the Lord. And we as Christians are free to partake of meat for sale. So in chapter eight, again, Paul was charging the Corinthians, the Christian Corinthians, not to eat meat knowingly offered to idols. That is clearly what Paul's saying, because notice in verse 27, and this, and this, and so the main thing that we just laid out is in 25 through 26. And then there are subsets in verse 27 to 28 through 29 of how Paul now is going to follow up with this. He says, if any one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, so now he's setting up a situation, okay, so he's giving an example, and you're disposed to go. I like that phrase, by the way. Eat whatever it is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So being invited, all right, to a person's house who is not a believer. Now, and here's the thing we have to understand. Let's go back to first century and understand the context because no matter where you're at, I'm sure, and we have international listeners, and we're so thankful, by the way, give a shout out to you guys around the world. There are going to be different cultures represented, but I will tell you here in the West, in America, we stink when it comes to hospitality for the most part. Now, I'm not saying that I've never been a part of a party, birthday party, dinner invite where the the host wasn't hospitable. I, matter of fact, most of the events that my wife and I have attended have been wonderful. But the reality is we don't do that on a regular basis. But in that culture, at that time, it meant that you were family. It meant that you shared a bond. So the cool thing is to have a non-believer to be compelled and to want to invite you in is saying, I want to have a relationship with you. It would be rude if you were to subject the host to a series of questioning as though you're better, right? None, none of us would like that. And I'm sure if you and I have ever, if you've ever hosted something like we have, my wife and I, we've had our fair share of people where they've been rude about certain things, maybe to our kids or, or you know, rude to their spouses in front of us or even rude to us about the food or commenting about, you know, like especially people who are very wealthy and they, you know, come more into our humble you know, abode and, and kind of like, oh, well, you know, I was expecting your kitchen to be bigger than this or, you know, make people make comments like that, that we clearly know in our, even our culture, that's rude. But if you did that in that culture, you're essentially saying, I don't want to have a bond with you. I despise you. I'm better than you. And so to ascertain whether or not this meat um, is offered to idols or not, that would be offensive. And you as a Christian don't need to worry about that because you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul stated here in verses 25 through 26 to enjoy the meal, enjoy the fellowship that comes with it. And see, this is another side note, my friends, is that we oftentimes get into so many debates and issues and we get, we get argumentative and just let it go. I mean, if I could be honest, you know, I have friends who are Calvinists. I'm not a Calvinist. But I respect so many of them. I love so many of them. And, and don't, don't, don't sweat it. And I think we can take issue to so many things that, that that's not helpful. 
If a non-Christian person sees a Christian eating meat that comes from a local temple, they might conclude that the Christian acknowledges the holiness of the meat and thus the reality of the local God. So that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 8, not here. The ground of conscience. The Christian obviously is to refuse the meat, not because they will be defiled by it, but for the sake of the host's conscience. Okay? The Christian is to refuse the meat, not because they will be defiled by it, but for the sake of the host's conscience. And, and vice versa. The Christian is to accept the meat because the guest, as a guest of honor, the host is extending themselves, loving this person. Okay, now it says in verse 20, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informs you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? So Paul sets up a scenario where the host, again, who's not a believer, has a weak conscience, but knows that there's a debate between non-believers and Christians informs you that, hey, I, I did get this meat. It was sacrificed to idols uh, in the recent pagan fast. You probably heard about it. There's flyers everywhere. And now, if that's the case, if you were to ignore the information and still eat the meat, it would cause the host to believe that you condone the pagan rituals. And so to avoid that or any suspicion, it's wise, according to Paul, to decline eating the meat. That's wisdom right there. John MacArthur, again, a Calvinist, but I still respect and love him and, and read his stuff. He says this, if it, even if you are the guest of an unbeliever and don't want to offend him, it is better to offend the unbeliever and not eat for the sake of the weaker Christian who would be offended to eat once since love to other believers is the strongest witness we have. That's true. That's well said. In Romans 14, 6 says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. That's how we are to glorify God. Now, it was customary for Jews to give thanks before meals. So when Paul says here in verse 30, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So likewise, as Christians, we are, we are to apply that in our daily lives. The key, again, is recognizing idols are nothing compared to God. The key here is to recognize that we give thanks for the many blessings that God has given us in his creation, that he's given us to be dominion, to have dominion over it and not to take it for granted. And that's why as we close here, Paul, as we end here in verses 31 through chapter 11, verse one, whatever you eat or drink, do, do it all to the glory of God. So when he started off with a section in his letter, verse 23, with that, Christ, with that Corinthian slogan, this is what's important, and I pause to, to, to say this because I want people to understand there are a lot of slogans in our life that we live by, but you have to ask yourself how many of those slogans actually meet God's standards of living? Because see, what happens is we can actually start making a case as to why we do what we do based on our slogans rather than the standards of God. In verse 31, Paul wraps up this argument because he's presenting a governing principle that should be our motivation how we live on earth. To glorify God. To glorify God in all things. To honor Him. I love what Colossians 3 verse 17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
So that's why he says here in verse 35, or excuse me, verse 32, to give no offense to Jews or Greeks in the church. Because here the issue, again, was surrounding sacrificial meat. And that caused a lot of confusion. It caused a lot of people to stumble among the Greeks. And it was seen as dishonorable. It was a dishonorable act to Jews and also to Christians. And because of that, my friends, to glorify God, we have to be sensitive. And that's why Paul says, look it, he was doing it. He's not only telling you guys this, and this is what's amazing, by the way, when you could find a Bible teacher who is not only laying out the word of God, teaching it faithfully, preserving God's truth and upholding to the standards of God, but living it out, that's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful that Paul is teaching them these things. He's sensitive to these issues. He's willing to, to tackle the, the big challenges that the Corinthians were facing in that culture at that time, in this newfound church in the early 50s. And he says, look to me. If you guys are confused, isn't that true when it comes to when you teach things? Look at it. It's like, instead of just reading it, you watch a video. So when people are actually telling you how to live and then you can use someone as an example of how they live and say, oh, like that, that's what Paul means. That's Paul's command is to follow his example and how he was glorifying God. And as we, as we look to Paul as an example, he will teach us what it looks like to glorify God, what it looks like to serve others, what it looks like to care more about others than we care about ourselves. So my friends, as we close in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I pray that this has helped you to look at your life and say, I want to glorify God. I want to glorify God with my whole being. That's my prayer. And I pray it's your prayer. In fact, I encourage you guys to let us know if, if, if this has encouraged you and you, you want to learn to grow in your faith as you're listening to this podcast, we have other resources to help you argue well, to defend well, and to discern well as you stand strong in your faith. You can go to standstrongministries.org with all the information we have there, articles and videos and books that I've written, our other podcast, Challenging Conversations that we do in partnership with the Edify Podcast Network that's, that's powered by Christian Post. You can also go to Higher Ground. That is a arm, the religious arm of the Washington Times and also the Christian Post where I do my weekly articles that help you guys grow in your faith. So I pray that you guys are blessed during this time that we've had. I've enjoyed going through 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with you. I'm excited, but also nervous as we dive into the whole controversy of head coverings in 1 Corinthians 11. So tune in next week as we dive into that. Until next time, keep standing strong in the word of God. Music.